What is going on, OWS fam, DFS fam, YouTube fam? Welcome back to the DFS Lab. This is our second DraftKings DFS Lab of the week. Keegan and I will be building a roster, obviously a practice build. We will be able to talk through some players, some games, some situations, but more deeply, the idea behind this is to be able to talk through how we think through a slate, how we think through roster construction in order to open up our paths to a first place finish. With that, let's get started. One week season. All right. Welcome back, Keegan. How you doing, man? Doing great. These, uh, I started these like early morning workouts instead of like late night ones. And it's got me in kind of a rush, but it keeps me like more awake during these um, shows, whatever. Yeah, it's interesting how like uh, workouts can either, like it can go one of two ways. Like you can be really tired afterward and kind of like want to veg out the rest of the day or just be really invigorated <laughs> depending yeah, on yeah. And I mean, uh, sort of how it hits. Definitely feel out of breath uh, for sure. Like my body's like shaking and everything. Just nice. I love that. <laughs> but um, also... Uh, yes, you know, it's been bothering me so much. Um, the, the Puka thing that I was talking about yesterday and I was, I was like, how, how did that make so much sense when I saw the, the certain individual, I don't remember who I listened to probably a TikTok or something, but the guy that explained it, he had an entire like whole notebook explaining it. And I was like, why doesn't that make sense? Cause like you brought the stats and obviously it didn't make sense. And, um, sorry to anybody that's like, didn't see yesterday's show um we're talking about the rams and how i wasn't gonna on one of the lineups that we were building i wasn't gonna play puka i mean i wasn't gonna play cooper cup i was gonna play puka and you're like going out of your way to play puka yeah exactly i was going out of my way um i think what it was was actually the thursday's game it was um what was his name uh the he actually got actually pretty decent on targets but yeah uh, oh, Kirk, Christian Kirk, Calvin yeah. Ridley. Yeah, 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 gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, yeah, that makes more sense because you got Marshawn Lattimore on on Calvin Ridley. Uh, so that's probably a good time for any of you who are new to this show for us to say what the concept of this show is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're unfamiliar with me, uh, my name is JM Win. I run OneWeekSeason.com. used to run premium content at Roto-Grinders. I've been playing DFS for 10 years, been to a bunch of live finals, had a bunch of big wins. Um, Keegan has been playing DFS for two to three years, playing more casually, kind of learning the ropes, but also passionate about it in that, uh, around, you know, what is your, what is miles a year and a half old, 14 yeah, months old turned two in January. So, okay, nice. Oh, coming up on two. Uh, so yeah, you know, around new marriage, new kid work, uh, Keegan's learning the ropes of DFS and, and kind of picking all this up. So the idea behind this show is that we build these rosters, but it also allows us to, uh, use Keegan as a proxy for the audience. So he's kind of asking the questions you guys would ask, poking around on the things you guys might be poking around on and learning, you know, not just who the good plays are on a slate, but more deeply what it takes to build for first place on roster. So uh, hopefully this can be a learning process for you guys each week while also getting you up to date on the slate. So I guess along those lines, Keegan, we were talking right before we came on air, you said you haven't had a chance to dive deeper into this slate since yesterday. And you said, if there's a game that, that you want to talk about or a spot you want to talk about, we can focus on that. Uh, so one of the things I started to say to you off air, and then I said, well, let's just start the show. So, so we can talk about this for everybody. Uh, I was looking at ownership projections for the first time this morning, because I built out my player grid. I always do that. We'll typically do it 
Thursday night. Um, we had some work stuff this week with getting uh, NBA optimizer off the ground and, and getting things set up for NBA props and whatnot. But um, so was finishing up my player pool this morning and putting together my initial player grid, which I'll type out this afternoon, will be live to subscribers, my, my player pool this afternoon, evening. And I was like, I better check ownership projections just to make sure I'm not missing anything, right? Because it's a week where it's kind of like, there's not a lot that separates the good plays from each other. You know what I mean? So it's like, and the good plays aren't that great compared to most weeks. The, the good plays on this week might be sort of overlooked on other weeks or ignored on other weeks. And then all the good plays are kind of in a pile where there's not a ton that separates this good play from this good play. So I looked at ownership projections just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And sure enough, looking at them, it was like, oh, there's there's chalk that's not really great chalk. And that's kind of what you expect on a week like this because chalk forms no matter what, but there's no real standout plays. And then kind of the plays that I was on were all represented somewhat high. And there's a few plays that I knew would be low owned that, that I was on. So yeah, just kind of looking through ownership after going through my whole week, building out my you know Friday player pool. It was like, no, this week is what we expect this week to be. So I don't think, you know, it, it's like, Right now, what I'm seeing is Josh Jacobs, 30% owned, Kenneth Walker, 30% owned, Isaiah Pacheco, 30% owned. Like, should any of these guys be 30% owned? No, but are all of them good plays on this slate? Yes. You know, Geno Smith is currently coming in as the highest projected owned quarterback. Is he the likeliest quarterback on the slate to post a tournament winner? No, but like, is there another clear, better option? Not really. Uh, so that's kind of what this slate provides. And I was actually, you know, I was thinking even back and forth on putting Gino in my player pool because he probably gets you like 18, 19, 20, 21 points. And it's like, that's not going to win you a tournament. But then when I was looking at the other guys I could choose among, you know, the, the Staffords and the Howells, it was like, oh, but all of these guys might score below Gino. Um, that's not really how we want to build rosters. We want to recognize that somebody's probably going to outscore. If, if Gino scores 20, some quarterback in that same price range is going to outscore him and other rosters will have that quarterback. So we want to be hunting for that quarterback. But sort of my point being like Gino typically isn't in my pool because he needs the opponent to push him for him to have a ceiling game. And I don't want to just roster the guy who can get me 20 points. And yet this week it's like, oh, but 20 points from a 6K quarterback could be pretty solid. Same thing with Kenneth Walker, right? We know in his career, he has three games where he's cracked 20 DraftKings points. He's 7K. He's cracked 20 DraftKings points three times. He's going to be 30% owned. And yet, he might still be a solid play because even if he gets you 20, 21, 22 points, that's going to be hard for people to get this week. And he still has those pathways to a 30 point game. So uh, yeah, it's kind of one of those weeks where the, the chalk is bad chalk compared to like a standard week, but it's not bad chalk compared to this week. And so you still got to find the pieces that can beat that chalk, but it's um, yeah, it's kind of creates this wide open week, which is what it looked like. And uh, kind of my building up my player pool, looking at ownership projections this week confirmed all that. So yeah, that's sort of my macro of what I'm seeing right now, sort of getting down to the player level. Uh, any thoughts on on that or any additional thoughts that that might have sparked on your end? Um, yeah, I didn't expect Kenneth Walker to be on 30%. Um, I mean, I guess you you do say that that's why like he's so um, expensive. That's why DraftKings has him so like... Because he's always owned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like he gets those that tough touchdown upside and everybody's banking on that. So... Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And because certainly the DraftKings pricing algorithm, you know, one of the things they definitely take into account is pre-touchdown production, because when you, you know, 
I'm kind of the only person, I guess more and more people will start doing this as I talk about it more, but I'm kind of the only person in this space who really focuses heavily on pre-touchdown production as like a core metric. And when I look through the, the pre-touchdown numbers in terms of pre-touchdown, pre-bonus, PPR scoring, uh, the like guys are all in a very specific range on in DraftKings. Like the guys who are priced at 5K all kind of have around the same pre-touchdown PPR production. The guys priced at 6K, same thing, 7K, same thing. So when you see a guy like Kenneth Walker, who's very mispriced based on pre-touchdown PPR production, he's very overpriced based on that. You recognize that there are other factors in, in playing the DraftKings pricing algorithm that pushes his price up. And one of those obviously is that he gets a lot of touchdown opportunities, but another of those is that he tends to be pretty popular. And, um, and so because of that, like his price tends to be artificially inflated. Uh, here's another one for you. And, and by the way, if you're watching this, it's not to talk you off Kenneth Walker. He'll be in my player pool. It's just to say like, he's not as good of a play as he will seem on the surface. He's just, he seems like that because this slate doesn't provide a lot of great plays. And so it's just like, Oh, Kenneth Walker's, you know, he's not head and shoulders above everybody else. He's like forehead and hair above everybody else. And so then it's like, Oh, well this guy, you know, um, and that creates some opportunities for us to do different things. Uh, here's one that surprised me, Keegan. Uh, Lamar Jackson is coming in as one of the highest projected owned quarterbacks on the slate. Uh, any thoughts on on that? I've, I've had a lot of like Lamar Jackson, Zay Flowers pairings. And it's it, it's bitten me in the butt quite a few times. And I, I try to have like a um, non-biased opinion against that stuff. But like it seems to always come back and I always seem to get more biased. So I try to avoid that, honestly, uh, Lamar Jackson at the moment. Yeah. It's interesting because it speaks again to the state of the slate who, who this season has been going out of their way to play quarterbacks against Detroit and week in and week out, Lamar Jackson's getting pretty low ownership. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we have Lamar Jackson against Detroit which shouldn't be a marriage that suddenly makes everybody say, oh, cool, I, I don't roster quarterbacks against Detroit. I haven't been rostering Lamar Jackson, but now I'm going to go in on Lamar Jackson at high ownership. And yet that's just kind of what this slate provides. I will say last night, uh, before looking at ownership projections, having no concept that the field would be on Lamar Jackson, I was building some more practice builds and it, I built my first practice build that actually, like I was like, oh, I really like this and reserved it in contests. And it was a Lamar Jackson build. Um, and so I think like there's viability there. I think that he's an interesting option just from a, a looking at the slate and saying, man, there's not going to be a lot of 30 point scores on the slate more than likely. And so who are the guys who could get you 30? Lamar Jackson is one of those guys. Uh, Zay Flowers is definitely going to be really popular this week. Uh, Mark Andrews definitely going to be really popular this week. And that probably adds fuel to the fire for Lamar Jackson. Yeah. I also noticed when I was running, um, optimizer lineups last night, which just takes projections, right? And obviously uh, runs the build. I, I ran some last night just to see what it was spitting out. And there was a lot of Lamar Jackson on those. So again, he, it means he's doing well in projections on this slate where not a lot of players project well. So again, uh, he's not like a standout play, but it's like he stands out on this particular slate. So over-owned, he's going to be over-owned relative to his actual likeliest range of outcomes, but still an interesting play because he could get 35 points and maybe no other quarterbacks top 25 or 26. So uh, yeah, that's another interesting one. Yeah, that is an interesting play. Um, what do you, so I, I never really thought about this until you were talking about it just now, but like, what is the correlation with playing um, a decent, like 
middle of the pack to top defense against a like high projection um, quarterback or like quarterback stacked with, uh, you know, Zay Flowers say that. So you mean like if, if a lot of people are on Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, mm -hmm. and then you're talking about like the Detroit defense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's something that um, I always like to seek out if there is, Jordan Love's going to be another high-owned quarterback uh, this week. Good play. Like, I, I like Jordan Love. But then also the Broncos' defense has been playing a lot better. And if you go through offenses that have allowed opposing defense special teams to score 10-plus points this year, do you get what I'm saying? Like, offenses where you, we always look at, like, do running backs do well in this matchup? Do wide receivers do well in this matchup? Well, if we look at do defenses do well – in this matchup uh, defenses have done well against green Bay. Jordan love is still kind of a slow processor. So, uh, or maybe he's not a slow processor so much as he is willing to hold onto the ball a little bit longer than he should. Uh, so he takes more sacks than he should still. Uh, he's likelier than, than a more seasoned quarterback to throw interceptions. So something like I was looking at that where it was like, Oh, like not only like defense is kind of clumped together this week too, right? My defense list, I didn't even put a defense list in my player grid because I had 13 defenses on my list and there's 20 defenses on the slate. And there was a few others that I was also like, I could also put this one on there. You know, that's kind of what defense is like this week. So then I can push more toward other factors instead of projecting what's going to happen. Instead, I can say, well, what gives me a bigger strategy edge, right? So if the Broncos have a big game that hurts these Jordan Love rosters, if the Detroit defense has a, a big game that hurts these Lamar Jackson rosters. So it basically on a week where not a lot separates all these defenses, you can kind of move over to the strategy angle a little bit more and say, well, from a strategy standpoint, if this defense hits, it's not just helping me. It's also hurting other people, which uh, that's the ideal thing, especially defense special teams where, where we really get points is when they're forcing turnovers. And obviously the best thing is when they're forcing turnovers and scoring a defensive touchdown. Well, all of that, further helps the defense because if they're scoring a defensive touchdown, then the opposing team is having to drop back more. They become more one-dimensional, creates more opportunities for sacks and turnovers. And then also if Lamar Jackson is turning the ball over twice, that's taking away points from his score in addition to adding points to our defense. So uh, yeah, I like that call. And, and that's kind of an angle to play around with on a week like this is okay. Who's popular. And let me take the, the defense against some of these popular pieces. Yeah, and I'm not even necessarily saying you don't have to play Lamar Jackson at all, but at least like on a few rosters, you know, you can definitely try to make it to where you're going against that said uh, play. With um, yeah, yeah, and it's all about like identifying your high confidence spots and playing those, regardless of what ownership numbers are. Right? Uh, there was yeah. an interesting discussion after last week where there was a lot of people who hadn't played Raheem Mostert and were saying. Uh, oh, if I'd known that he was going to be 50% owned, there's no way I ever would have played him, you know? And it's a way to be like, well, I missed out on this score, but that's okay. Like it was dumb that everybody played him. Whereas for me, I had Raheem Mostert on 80% of my rosters and considered him on 100%. So for me, it was, it was like, I didn't care what the ownership, no, we've talked about that a lot. Sometimes there's a player, uh, I've used that example of the Antonio Brown weekend back in the day when he had scored over 50 points and he was 50% owned. And it's like, well, he didn't help you win a tournament, but you had to have him in order to compete. Same thing with Mostert last week. You know, he was 6,400 and scored 37 points. It didn't matter that he was 50% owned, right? Like you had to have him. And so 
Um, there's certain pieces where you're like, well, this is a high confidence piece. I don't care what ownership says. I'm playing this guy because I have that high of confidence. And then there's other guys where it's like, man, I, there's not much that separates this piece from this piece. And so in those places, that's where I really start pulling in uh, the strategy angles. I think that's an important point too, because people can go too far. I, I saw somebody in our Binks channel the other day, which is where people post all their all their wins in the OWS Discord. And some of the, the other day was saying, one of the things that they really come around on this year is realizing that you are going to play a decent amount of chalk on your rosters. You can't just be like, oh, this guy's high on, I'm not playing him. Uh, typically, you're going to have some chalk pieces on your winning rosters. And so the best way to do that is to understand the slate well enough that you're playing those guys, not because they're chalk, but because you have high confidence in those plays. Uh, and then the places where you're like, I don't really know if it's this guy or this guy, or if I should go this direction or this direction. That's where I like to really start pulling in the strategy angles and saying, okay, well, if I don't know, then, you know, what is the strategy point toward what makes me more money over time from a strategy standpoint? Um, you know, another guy who not popping in projections or ownership projections, uh, Devante Adams, who again, squeaky wheel narrative. I don't, we don't know who's going to be quarterback and we may not know until, Sunday, whether it's Aiden O'Connell or Brian Hoyer, uh, but little things like that are interesting to pay attention to on a week where like, you know, Keenan Allen is, is going to be one of the top two or three highest owned wide receivers. Keenan Allen, who uh, the last time he topped 20 DraftKings points against Kansas city was all the way back in 2019. It's a guy who plays Kansas city two times every year. Uh, and that year he scored like 21 and 23. DraftKings points. So like, you know, not to say that he's not going to hit 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 points, but if he's 8,600 and scores 20 points at 30% ownership, what if we can find the guy in the same price range who goes for 35 points, you know, 40 mm -hmm. points, and we're just so far ahead of the field on those pieces. So uh, yeah, a lot of fun things to play around with this week from a standpoint of, you know, okay, some places where it's like, oh, this guy's clearly one of the top plays. And then outside of that, it's like, okay, well, what's the strategy and how do we mess around with that? Somebody um, actually in the comments from yesterday's video wanted you to expand more on the, uh, the Devontae Adams squeaky wheel. I think they wanted to know what you meant by that. Uh, so Devontae Adams basically said every team's different, right? But a lot of times if a player complains publicly, the team goes out of their way to get them the ball a little bit more. It's interesting with Devontae Adams because he's the focal point of the offense every week. It's not like, the Raiders are coming out and saying, oh, well, this week we should emphasize Devontae Adams more. It's more that opponents are putting two or three guys on Devontae Adams. At the same time, Devontae Adams is coming off of Aaron Rodgers and Derek Carr, both of whom were going to go out of their way to basically they were going to say Devontae Adams is covered. That doesn't matter. Like we're going to get him the ball yeah. um, and he'll make the catch. Whereas Jimmy Garoppolo has been more like Devontae Adams is covered. Oh, look, Jacoby Myers has a little bit of space. I'll throw it to him. And there's also things that you can do in terms of, I remember a, a play in the playoffs a few years ago where the Packers put, I, I think they put Devontae Adams in motion to the left and then put him back in motion. They were down on like on the goal line. They put him in motion to the left. It was man coverage. So they're able to see that because the guy trails him. And then the guy thinks that Devontae Adams is going to settle on the left side of the formation and he goes back in motion to the right and basically like left the guy like sprint motion, right? He left the guy in the dust because then Roger snaps the ball. This guy's kind of a step behind Devontae Adams. And then there's all this congestion in the middle of the field that like that defender got caught up and Devontae Adams just like sprinted to the pylon 
and caught the ball with like a couple steps on this guy, right? Where you're basically designing the play saying, we know the defense is trying to take away Devonte Adams, but look, we can do this to specifically get him the ball. So what we'll typically see in a spot where a guy complains publicly like that, Devonte Adams essentially saying that, um, you know, the gist was that he doesn't care about wins and losses or probably more. He doesn't care just about wins and losses. He cares about greatness and he just means on an individual level, which for a coach like Josh McDaniels, you know, six Super Bowl rings, that doesn't um, that doesn't jive with him as well as it might with other coaches. Uh, but at the same time, like what you're typically going to see is a quarterback go more out of their way to throw the ball to that guy. And especially with Hoyer or Aiden O'Connell stepping in, you know, when O'Connell started last time, I think Devonte had 13 targets and Jacoby Myers had like four um, because if you're a, a rookie quarterback in your first or second NFL start, you're gonna be like, dude, you got Devonte Adams here. Let me just throw him the ball. Yeah. Um, same thing with Brian Hoyer. I could see Hoyer doing the same thing. And then maybe McDaniel schemes up a few more looks for him, but you kind of see these Cooper cup came back two weeks ago. Right. And he had, I think it was six targets on the first drive of the game, or maybe it was five targets on the first drive of the game. But you see those situations where the coach is like, Hey, look, it's cups first game back. Let's get him going. Right. Um, so you could see something like, like that this week where it's like, okay, like let's, let's this first drive, let's get Devonte Adams four or five targets, get him in a rhythm, get him feeling good. And then, you know, maybe he finishes the whole game with 13 targets and five of them came on that first drive, but it like, it gives you that opportunity for those, that production to pile up to where the rest of the game plays out kind of normal, but he's got that starting point production that he can build off of. Yeah. So what is the difference between this year in last year when it comes to Josh Jacobs and Devontae Adams getting these like 30 point games compared to this year where it's not so often. And part of it is the offensive line. The uh, for, for Jacobs, the Raiders offensive line, if I remember correctly, ranks dead last in adjusted line yards, or maybe it's 31st in adjusted line yards. Surprisingly, the Bears defense ranks, I, I forget what the numbers were, but it was definitely top five, and it might have been like top two or three in adjusted line yards on defense. So you see Josh Jacobs averaging like 3.2 yards per carry this game, 2.9 this game, 3.6 this game, whereas a guy like Jacobs should be averaging four and a half to five yards a carry. Uh, so part of that is just that the line isn't opening things up for him. And this isn't the best spot. The Bears are middling run defense. They've got uh, uh, their defensive line has done a good job. And then they've got Tremaine Edmonds uh, in the linebacking core that is going to be a good run defender. Uh, they're easier to attack through the air. That said, like Jacobs, from a usage standpoint, there's so much to like. And then he has, I think it's 14 carries inside the 10-yard line or 16 carries inside the 10-yard line. Um, basically, like he and Kenneth Walker are right, right there at the very top of the league in carries inside the 10. And Jacobs has only converted two touchdowns on those. So there, there comes that game where he gets two or three touchdowns on those looks. Um, you know, at the same time, he's going to be one of the most popular guys and and who knows, maybe he doesn't get the touchdowns and he's still averaging 3.5 yards a carry. Uh, with Devontae Adams, so he came to Las Vegas to play with Derek Carr. Derek mm -hmm. Carr was his college quarterback in, at Fresno State. They were best friends, both came into the NFL, I believe the same year. And uh, back in, I, I didn't play college football DFS, but I remember like when they came into the league, people saying that like, it was just a cheat code every week to play Derek Carr and Devontae Adams because no one was like rostering Fresno state players. And then these guys were just popping off every week against the competition they were playing. And uh, so Devontae Adams came basically to play with Derek Carr. And then Derek Carr is like, dude, I'm going to get my buddy double digit targets every game, you know? So yeah. then you have a shift to Jimmy Garoppolo, who's 
not as good pushing the ball outside the numbers, not as willing to push the ball outside the numbers. And then you add in Jacoby Myers, who's really good at getting open over the middle. And you kind of kind of have a situation where like those forced double digit target games to Devontae Adams aren't there as much. And also, you know, keep in mind, Josh McDaniels, like he's, he had offenses with the Patriots that were really high scoring, but what those Patriots coaches are good at is the chess match of how you win a game. And McDaniels, again, six Super Bowl rings, like he's not here caring about statistics as Belichick would say, stats are for losers. Like what McDaniels cares about is how do we win this game? So if that means Devontae Adams is taking attention and opening up the middle of the field and Jacoby Myers is getting open and they're three and three and bordering on four and three, if they can win this game against the bears, like, well, he's happy with that, you know? Um, So yeah, it's not, it's not the type of situation where this team is like, all right, how do we just score as many points as we can? Let's open things up. Let's find ways to get them the ball. Uh, And so yeah, like I said, the squeaky wheel narrative could even be less powerful on Devontae Adams because of all those factors. But generally speaking, that is something to pay attention to. And then also from like a broader perspective, why is his production down this year? Nothing about him as a player. It's just like the situation for the offense, uh, the offensive line not playing well, the, the quarterback change, J- Jacoby Myers getting open over the middle, the way that this coaching staff operates, uh, just kind of all comes together for him to be less productive in the box score. Um and it's crazy, right? Because he's still helping his team win just as much. If you're taking double coverage all the time, you got a guy like Jacoby Myers who can win over the middle. Like that's helping your team, but you know, uh, I'm not in his shoes, so I can understand. Um, you know, you're a wide receiver; you want the ball. Wide receivers tend to be like that. Yeah, and um, let me look here. I just want to see. So the the he's only broken 20 points once this uh, this season. Josh Jacobs has, and so that's in my opinion. Um, I think that's crazy that he is 30% owned. Uh, yeah, you know, people are going to look at underlying metrics as well in terms of like, who is seeing more snaps, who is seeing more carries, who is seeing more targets than Josh Jacobs. And then on top of all of that, he's getting all these touches inside the 10 yard line. So looking not just at what has happened, but what can happen, he makes a lot of sense still because, he is on the field more than any other running back. And he does get as many targets as other, as any other running back. And he's getting all these carries and all these touchdown opportunities. So no, I'm not, um, I'm not against that play at all, but I also think it's, it's one of those things where he's 30% owned, not because he's just clearly this smash play, right? Like Raheem Mostert last week, he's 30% owned. Cause like, well, there's not a lot to like, and I like Josh Jacobs. Right. And so people kind of make those decisions in a vacuum or projection system, right? We've seen Mixon be high owned every week since the start of last season. He's topped 20 points one time. And it was like a 55 pointer, but every week Mixon's high owned because projection systems are going to be like all these touches, all this work inside the 10 yard line. But then it's like, yeah, but Mixon's not very good anymore. Their offensive line isn't good. Their run scheme isn't good. Like um, he's not actually scoring the point. So the bigger factor with Jacobs is that, that he it's like it's like yeah like i said he shouldn't be 30 percent owned and yet he could still be the highest scoring running back on the slate so i'll be underweight the field on him but i'll still have jacob's exposure because like he's still a sharp play just not this sharp um and ideally he misses right and like 12 percent of my rosters or whatever it might be like take a hit from him missing but like the other 88 percent of my rosters are getting a big edge on the field 
Um, oh, by the way, our boy uh, Jerome Ford, he's popping in uh, ownership projections. It's going to be one of oh, the uh, yeah. What is he at? Like above, I think about like fifteen percent or so. So, uh, Jerome Ford, guy we talked about yesterday. Um, yeah, yeah, he he was under my radar. I didn't. Um... I like. Um, I I like. You know, obviously the ideal is to be on those guys and nobody's on them. But at the same time, when you're on a guy where you're like, man, Jerome Ford, this is kind of a crazy play. Nobody's going to be on him. And then you see he's like 15%. It does make you feel like, okay, well, at least I know he's not like a, just a dumb play. That we're on. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's um, another one. But again, running back is pretty thin this week. And you get guys like, uh, always like weeks like this, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones can go for 35 to 40 points. And people don't like to play him because when he misses, like when Kenneth Walker misses, he's getting double digits. And that always looks good when you look through the game logs. Um, and so think about you, Keegan, being like not a casual DFS player, but like a more casual DFS player than a pro, right? right. And think about how often you look through game logs to like underpin your research, right? Yeah. So then recognize that other people are doing the same thing. And when people look through game logs, it looks good to see double digit, double digit, double digit all the way down the line, which is what you get with Kenneth Walker. Whereas Aaron Jones, you see like double digit, seven points, six points, 35, 22, 28, 12, seven, right? And those single digit games in there throw people off. Um, but Aaron Jones, and then coming back from injury on top of that, this team has not been able to run the ball. They with with AJ Dillon, they're coming out of their bye week. So expectation is that Aaron Jones should be healthy. Uh, coming off the injury, nobody's paying attention to him. He's coming in at sub two percent owned, and there's a very viable scenario this week in which Kenneth Walker scores eighteen points, Josh Jacobs scores sixteen points, and Aaron Jones scores thirty two points. And these other two guys combined for sixty percent ownership, even higher than that in smaller field stuff. And Aaron Jones is sitting here at 2% owned and just like vaults your rosters past those guys. So uh, I'll probably have like, I was going to say probably equal shares of ownership among Aaron Jones, Kenneth Walker and Josh Jacobs. But if I'm not thinking strategy, if I'm, if I'm just thinking what gives me the highest ceiling, I actually probably would have a little bit more Aaron Jones than those other guys. Um, so spots like that are really nice where you're not, trying to take the contrarian play you're not trying to be different you're just like oh i actually like this guy from a ceiling perspective not a not a what's likely is to happen but like how likely is he to win you a tournament aaron jones is likelier because he's likelier to have a 35 point game than these other two guys uh and then you get him at super low ownership so i love spots like that which is which is something i'm definitely uh, on board with this week here's a question for you have you thought about the bills passing attack at all Oh my god! No way! I was literally waiting to ask you that once you finished. Okay, that's insane. That's hilarious that you said that. Um, the uh, well, I got so excited about that, but like in my head, I have to like remember the questions that I like want to ask. Uh, <laughs> and like in my head, I was like, I really want to ask like what the projections are on the uh, on the Bills on Gabe Davis, Steph Diggs, Josh Allen, um, and just see what your thoughts are if they could do have a really nice score against the Patriots defense. Yeah. The, I kind of thought that they would be because projections are projections are um, largely driven by implied team totals and over unders and the bills are implied. Well, it's dropped down to 24 and a half points, but the bills were implied for about 25 points, kind of one of the top teams and implied for more than 
the Ravens actually. So it's kind of weird that, that Lamar Jackson's popping and uh, Josh Allen's not, I have not looked at projections cause that's not really part of my process, but I would guess that Josh Allen just projected slightly below Lamar Jackson, or maybe even the same as Lamar Jackson, but because of the price difference, optimizers are putting Lamar Jackson in instead of Josh Allen. Um, and so Josh Allen's coming in with really low ownership projections and Lamar Jackson really high ownership projections. And they're probably about equal plays. So uh, going through game logs, Josh Allen has played, if I remember correctly, he's played the Patriots 11 times. And like nine of those times he scored in the high teens and low 20s. Um, and then it was, I think it was two of those times he scored like 34 plus points. And then throw in in 2021, there was a playoff game. And granted, this was um, the like everything was clicking for the Bills at that point in the season. It was wild card round of the playoffs. It was the week before. You remember that game against Kansas City where um, it was like back and forth for the last two minutes of the game. And the Bills took the lead to go to the AFC championship game. And then Mahomes had, I forget what it was, 14 seconds or whatever it was, and like came all the way back down the field and won the game for the Chiefs. But it was like, in that sequence of games where the bills were just like clicking on all cylinders. Uh, but in that game, uh, Josh Allen scored like over 40 DraftKings points against the Patriots. Um, he was 21 of 25 passing. He had 66 rushing yards, uh, over 300 passing yards, um, five passing touchdowns in that game. So point being the likeliest outcome is that Josh Allen only scores 17 to 22 points against the Patriots at the same time three out of his 12 career games against the Patriots, he's gone for 35 plus 25% of his career games against the Patriots. He's gone for th or 34 plus points. So um, that becomes a really interesting spot in that his chances of hurting your roster are higher than normal, but his chances of like scoring 35 plus points aren't that much lower than normal. Usually he's going to do it in like 40 to 45% of his games. So if you say that he's going to do it only 25% of the time against the Patriots, that's a drop down but then the drop in ownership is significant enough that it still makes sense to have some Josh Allen. So um, if I would typically have say like 12% Josh Allen, then maybe I do 6% this week. If I would typically have 20% Josh Allen, maybe I do 10% this week, but I will definitely have some Josh Allen rosters basically saying who can go for a huge score. Um, another hard thing there is the three times Josh Allen hit uh, Diggs only hit in one of those. Um, Another one against the Patriots, it was Dawson Knox who hit. He had 89 receiving yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and then another one, it was Isaiah McKenzie, who's no longer on the team. But Isaiah McKenzie had 11 catches for 125 yards. So it's kind of like the Patriots saying, you're not going to beat us with digs. You've got to beat, beat us with somebody else. And uh, Gabe Davis doesn't have like a high target like ceiling. So it probably won't be Gabe Davis. So it's like, who does actually hurt the Patriots, you know, like who else in the bills can actually put up a, like a big game, uh, which when you had like Isaiah McKenzie or Cole Beasley in the slot, these good kind of route runners out of the slot, that was a little bit more opportunity for that number three guy to do it. Um, so I don't really know who to pair him with. Obviously it could be Diggs, but um, you know, we've seen what the Patriots have done to AJ Brown, Devonte Adams, Chris Olave, uh, CD lamb, there's at least one other guy on that list of like elite wide receivers they faced. So um, yeah, interesting spot though. I'm glad you were glad you were going to bring that up. I think it's an interesting spot to have some access to in tournament. Got, got super excited about bringing it up. <laughs> you got anything else? Um, we're kind of pushing it on time so we could build a quick roster or just kind of talk through the slate a little, a little bit more. 
Um, yeah, let's let's go over the Browns Colts game, I guess. Because I, I like that. Yeah, room four on there. So, yeah, we got news this morning that um, Deshaun Watson. So we got news this morning that Deshaun Watson uh, was practicing with the first team offense, taking all the reps and that his his passes had good zip on them. Um, Interesting that report came from Mary Kay Cabot, who is a bit of a, um, she's one of the beat writers for the Browns, longtime beat writer for the Browns, but also in close with the front office and sometimes a bit of a mouthpiece for the front office. So Deshaun Watson said earlier this week, that he couldn't push the ball downfield. Mary Kay Cabot then says on Friday that he looks great and his passes have good zip on them. So it's a weird, it's weird like palace intrigue, right? But there is the outside chance that that is her saying that publicly because the team wants her to say that publicly so that it looks bad on Deshaun Watson if he doesn't play. You get what I'm saying? Like, so like her... Like if this had been a Tony Grossi, like a, a, or one of the other beat writers for the Browns saying this, I would take it with less of a grain of salt. I do have like a small grain of salt. I'm taking it with just because, you know, Mary Kay Cabot does tend to say what the front office wants her to say. And the front office could be like, Hey, could you toss this report out there that that Deshaun Watson looks really good and has zip on the the balls at the same time. uh, It would definitely be true that he's taking all the first team reps. Like she wouldn't say that if it weren't true. So I think Deshaun Watson's really interesting. Where you let's let's yeah look at these um pull up Deshaun Watson's game logs yeah and uh, it's been like what is it twenty seventeen to twenty one points or something like that every game so far okay the fourteen pointer against Pittsburgh and then the twenty one twenty one but in terms of like if everyone's on Geno Smith and his likeliest score is like seventeen to twenty two points who in this price range could end up blowing way past it. And that's what I want to think about. Obviously Stafford could Stafford could throw for 300 yards and three touchdown passes and put up 27, 28 points. Um, Sam Howell could Sam Howell probably scores 17 to 21 points, but he's capable of scoring 25 to 30. Uh, but also Deshaun Watson could, and he's going to be, I would guess sub 1% owned this week. So um, yeah, I think that that's a really interesting spot because the Colts have been generous to quarterbacks. They've, they've, Really done a good job against Trevor Lawrence, but uh, Trevor Lawrence, this this Jags offense rarely throws for 300 yards. Anyway, I think a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of short area throws from the Jags um, march up the field type of offense, whereas the Browns are going to be a little bit more willing to push the ball down the field. So, yeah, I think that Deshaun Watson is, is actually a really, really interesting play. And then um, I like Amari Cooper just because he's so dramatically underpriced for his talent, his role in this offense. He should be a 7K wide receiver. And because of the week one, you have the game against Cincinnati, really bad weather and the Browns just dominated that game. So you got a low score there. Uh, And then you have this game against Baltimore that just thrashed the Browns in that game. So a low score there, but you look at the other three games and realize he has only one touchdown reception in those like on the season. And yet he has these scores of 16.8, 27.6, 17.8. Like that's ridiculous to do at his price tag without scoring touchdowns. Uh, he has a what 90 yards and then two games with the hundred yard bonus. So uh, I like Amari Cooper with Desha- if Deshaun Watson is back um, like Jerome Ford. I like playing those two together. Uh, two of their last four games, Cooper and Ford, two of their last four games, they would have kept you on a 200 point pace, just playing those two together. 
Uh, and the games where they wouldn't have was that thrashing against Baltimore and then PJ Walker under center against San Francisco. So um, yeah, really like, really like the um, Amari Cooper uh, setup, really like the Jerome Ford setup. Uh, Amari is going to go overlooked. Optimizers are, are pushing, optimizers projections are pushing Elijah Moore, who has kind of that Wandell Robinson, Rondell Moore type of role where, uh, boy, those names all overlap, don't they? Wandell, Rondell, Rondell Moore, <laughs> Elijah Moore. All right. So um, they've got the same type of role where it's like, hey, these guys can't actually, get, well, uh, Wandell Robinson can get open downfield. The Giants can't throw downfield, but these guys can't get open downfield. So, but we want the ball in their hands. So we'll scheme them stuff close to the line of scrimmage. Um, so Elijah Moore, the targets are there, but it's rare that he's having like the production to actually match it. And so you, that's, again, strategy stuff. If you get a guy like Elijah Moore that is going to have decent ownership, and then if Amari is hitting, like Amari is taking away points from those Elijah Moore rosters and people aren't going to uh, be on Amari. So, yeah, I like this. I like this Browns offense a lot. I think it's a really sneaky like cheat code this week in terms of – not in terms of like – oh, these guys are definitely going to hit, but in terms of what's the range of outcomes on everybody on this slate and who's most under-owned compared to their range of outcomes, it's it's the Browns. Like Nobody's going to be on Deshaun Watson. They're, they're going to be like, oh, well, he's got this shoulder thing, and what if he doesn't look good? And it's like, well, if he doesn't look good, then those rosters are dead. But you're going to have other rosters where like the guy underperforms for a different reason, and those rosters are dead, right? But if he looks good and he scores 26 DraftKings points, all of a sudden, like you're way ahead of everybody else. So uh, yeah, I think that's a really interesting spot. Awesome. Uh, yeah, with that, I think we're getting close to time. So uh, what do we have? We have like five minutes left maybe? Yeah, we got like five minutes left. Um, so we'll do no roster today. You good with that? Yeah, totally. Um, then yeah, you got anything else we want to touch on before we hop out? Um, yeah. What about the, the Giants re receivers? Are any of those any viable plays? Like besides playing that game specifically. So if you were to play like a separate game, like create a different lineup towards more like a Bucks Falcons game. Yeah. So, able to add them on there. Yeah. Here's how I've broken it down for myself is Tyra Taylor, assuming he's starting, right. He's not going to throw for 300 yards more than likely. So let's say we give him, 250 passing yards, which would still be a pretty good game for Tyrod Taylor. But again, they're playing Washington. Washington gives up a lot of passing yards. So that's that's not like stretching our imagination. So 250 passing yards. Um, let's say he gets about 20 to 22 completions, right? And then we take out the yards that might go to Saquon Barkley, the receptions that might go to Saquon Barkley, uh, the yards and receptions that might go to kind of like a random number. Isaiah Hodgins still going to get some snaps. Paris Campbell might get some snaps, like the fourth and fifth guys. Uh, so I'm kind of looking at it as like, you probably get like a good scenario. You get like 16 catches for 180 yards divided up among those three wide receivers, which is Wondell Robinson, Jalen Hyatt, Darius Slayton, and Darren Waller. Okay. So this group of four guys, there's probably about 34 DraftKings points available before touchdowns. So in terms of what that group of players costs, uh, I think it was, they cost like 15.5K, something like that combined. So in terms of what they cost and what their pre-touchdown production is as a block, they're a little bit underpriced. And so then you say like, one of you can take one of the players from that block, right? And probably one player from that block ends up having a nice point per dollar score. 
um, because they get like a larger share of those 34 points than the other guys and they score a touchdown or they get like a large enough share that they don't need the touchdown or maybe two of those guys. Cause one of the guys just has like his even share. He gets like nine or 10 points out of that bucket of available points, but then also scores a touchdown. Right. So it gets you up to, to 14, 15, 16 points. So yeah, I, like I don't see a clear pathway to any of these guys having like 22 points or 25 points because it's hard for Tyrod Taylor to throw more than two touchdown passes. And even if he throws one, that's a pretty solid game for him. Uh, and then you need the like yards to pile up on that guy as well. And the catches to pile up and like the giants aren't going to be like, Hey, let's come out and throw the ball 45 times, you know? And all of a sudden there's 32 completions to divide up among all of the giants pass catchers. So uh, in terms of like demystifying it, turning it into raw numbers, um, it's not, it's kind of one of those spots where it's like, Hey, one of these four guys is probably ends up being a pretty nice piece, but it's not super likely that any of them becomes a had to have it piece. And, you know, if you guess wrong on these four guys, then, you know, it's not going to kill you because they're cheap, but if you guess wrong, like, you know, it's not helping your roster. And if you guess right, it's not dramatically helping you to a first place finish. So that's kind of where I'm at on that right now. I really want to like it, but I'm yeah. not coming around in it myself. Um, at the same time, I think, and this was midweek thoughts, but I know Hilo was high on it earlier in the week. So, um, you know, for any of you who want to feel, if you're like, well, I like the Giants, I want to feel good about them. Uh, Hilo has his Searching for Ceiling podcast with Lord Reeves from Sharp Football Analysis. Uh, it's on the One Week Season YouTube channel podcast feed. Um, that is that was that goes live. That re records live right before Keegan and I record this. So that's already available for you. You can go probably hear Hilo talk about the uh, the Giants pass catchers. I would get I would guess. But yeah, from my end, I'm kind of like. I don't see the tournament winners and I see the downside. So I'll have a little bit of exposure, but like, I'm not going far out of my way right now. Yeah. So what you're saying is there's basically just too much risk for not enough ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. And the risk isn't that high either, which is why it's kind of like, well, it's, you know, it's viable because, you know, one L Robbins is going to get his targets and Jalen Hyatt's going to be on the field. And like if Jalen Hyatt misses, he costs three K. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's not killing you. Um, but so I don't really mind the risk so much as it's like, what am I paying up for with that salary? You know, like yeah. uh, maybe I'm trying to get cup and Devonte Adams on a roster. Like I'm going to have a ton of cup this week, but I can get cup without going all the way down to giants pass catchers. So um, the question's kind of like, well, what am I paying up for? Right. Um, and it's easy to look at a guy like Hyatt and be like, yeah, he's probably going to have his first eight target game here. Um he like the snaps have gone up and they're, they're using him now, but it's like, is he, you know? And then even if he does, like, it's gotta be, you gotta catch one of the downfield ones, which you might get one or two of those. So yeah, it's, it's, it, it's a spot. Like I said, it, like, like I said, like you said, yeah, to like, you kind of want to like it, but it just doesn't um, really pop to me. Yeah. And I mean, it is pretty enticing just um, at a price point like standpoint <laughs> and uh but i mean like you said risk reward um in, in my like when i see basically what you told me and what i'm seeing from what you told me is obviously you don't think there's going to be like a lot of risk if you do it it's a three thousand player but what if that three thousand dollar player is the reason that your lineup doesn't reach first place yeah <laughs> yeah or or you know you're forcing that so that you can pay up at spots where the guys you're paying up for are scoring 18 points, you know, and it's like uh, maybe you're missing out on 
McLaurin and, and uh, Amari scoring 25 to 30 apiece because you're trying to go, instead of going 6K wide receiver, 5K wide receiver, you're going 3K wide receiver and 7K running back, but the 7K running back scores 18 points. The 3K wide receiver scores eight points. And, you know, you got 26 points between the two of them and you're way behind the people who use that salary differently or those, those roster spots differently. So um, yeah, I think from like a salary allocation standpoint, they make sense. But in terms of like what they take away from your roster, they take away from a spot that could go to a guy who could score 25 to 30, which, you know, we always want to think about. Um, yeah, with that, we got to get out of here because I got my show with Pete coming up after this. Um, I always like these. I, I mean, you guys can let us know in the comments if you like strongly prefer the roster build shows. But uh, I always like these shows where, you know, we set out thinking we're going to build a roster, but uh, kind of goes a different direction. Talk about the slate because that's valuable as well. Helps us get a sense of how we build, how we think through things. Uh, so with that, Keegan, thanks for hanging out. Listeners, viewers, thanks for hanging out. We will see you on one week season throughout the weekend. And as always, we will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Mm -hmm.